Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, aka Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. And welcome to episode 54 of Head Speaks. Uh, this month we're going to start out with Watson Head's Long Box. So let's go ahead and roll that bumper. Speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League, Spider Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. And this month on Watson Head's Longbox, we're going to finish up with our Armageddon 2001. Uh, well, actually, it's just called Armageddon Alien Agenda. Uh, we're going to look at that. We're going to finish up looking at episodes, episodes, <laughs> issues three and four. So let's go and get started. First up, of course, we're going to look at issue number three, uh, Armageddon Alien Agenda, number three. The cover date on this was January of 1992. The on-sale date was December 3rd, 1991. The cover price was $1. The title of this was The West Years of Our Lives. Written by Jonathan Peterson. Penciler was Alan Lee Wees. Inker, Joseph Rubenstein. Letterer, Albert Tobias de Guzman. Colorist, Tom McGraw. Editor, Dennis O'Neill. The cover was done by Dick Giordano. Now for the synopsis. Uh, this tale is broken up between Captain Adam, a.k.a. Nate, Nathaniel, and Monarch, a.k.a. Hank. I'll focus on one and then the other until they actually meet up. Just make things a little less confusing. <laughs> In the alien city, Monarch awakens from his slumber with the rest of the alien force. Monarch and his pals, in quotes, realize that Gurgand, the alien from last issue, has already awakened and failed to stop Captain Adam. Well, that and that Prime One intended to double-cross Hank. They then head out to finish their job. Meanwhile, the city undergoes a civil war between the religious and the military, with the current Prime One being gunned down in front of his son. Meanwhile, once again, Captain Adam reappears, this time in front of a stampede of cattle. Able to power up long enough to survive, his unconscious human body is found by Matt Savage. Waking up later, Nat gets dressed in cowboy gear and uses his powers to pet his emblem on his shirt. He then meets Johnny Thunder. Nate explains that he's missing an item that can save or destroy the world. Matt informs him that one of his men found it and has it in town trying to sell it. So the three men head towards town. At town, they head towards the saloon, of course, where they meet Jonah Hex, the Sugar Twins, Pow Wow Smith, Flamebird, and Batlash. 
Plus, they get an Honest God barroom brawl. And this is where Monarch shows up, and him and Captain Adam renew their fight. While fighting, Hank accidentally shoots an alien gun at the ground, causing an earthquake, which hits San Francisco, causing an oil gusher, and sets off the detonator, once again throwing the two men forward in time. This time, Captain Adam lands in a Nazi camp, surrounded by soldiers, as our story ends. Uh, so now let's go look at the actual story itself. Uh, before I get into the story, let me go over a few things. Uh, this issue here, as I talked about in the synopsis, we get, it's a Western story, so of course, DC uh, or Jonathan Peterson, someone in their infinite wisdom, decided to throw every single Western hero DC had. So before I get into the actual story, I'm going to read off a little bit about the characters we're going to meet in this issue. I've already mentioned for the most part. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at it. So first one is Matt Savage, Trail Boss. Uh, he was created by Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, and Joe Gilea. The character was a late addition to Western Comics. He's taking Nighthawk slot in issue 77, which came out September-October of 1959. But the title's cover feature until the end, which was issue 85. It was later established that Matt was Scout Punter's father and was also related to Lieutenant Steve Savage, the World War I pilot briefly featured in All-American Men of War. Uh, next one I mentioned is Pow Wow Smith. He moved over from Detective Comics. He was a character first appeared in Western Comics issue 43, which came out January-February of 1954, and at that point becoming a principal figure, often appearing on the cover. He appeared in every issue until the end of the title's run. He was created by Don Cameron and penciler Carmen Infantino, who was known for The Flash. He is a Sioux who is the sheriff of a small western town of Elkhorn, where he is known as a master detective. Uh, next character is jo Jonah. Ah, try that again. Jonah Woodson Hex. Uh, he's a fictional anti-hero appearing in comic books published in the USA by DC Comics. Character was created by writer John Albano and artist Tony, Tony DeZungia. Hex is a surly and cynical bounty hunter whose face is horribly scarred on the right side. Despite his poor reputation and personality, Hex is bound by a personal code of honor to protect and avenge the innocent. Uh, his title was canceled during the Crisis on Infinite Earths, in which Jonah also appeared along with Scalp Hunter and other Western heroes in issue number three. But in the same year, Jonah moved to a new 18-series... 18-issue series called Hex, which was penned by Michael Flesher. Somehow, uh, Hex found that he'd been transported to the 21st century and became somewhat of a po post-apocalyptic warrior, reminiscent of Mad Max. The series had a mediocre success in the United States, but was critically acclaimed and well-received in Great Britain, Italy, Spain, and Japan. And Jonah's, Jonah Hex's first appearance was All-Star Western number 10, that came out February and March of 1972. Also, Jonah Hex, you may have heard of. He had a movie starring uh, Josh Brolin, and he's appeared in the Legends of Tomorrow TV show. Uh, so out of all the Western heroes, I think he's the one that's done, wanted up most on top. Also, we see Trigger Twins. Trigger Twins, in case I have problems pronouncing words. His first appearance was All-Star Western number 58, May of 1951 created by Robert Kaniger and Art Carmen Infantino, once again. Uh, their real names is Walter and Wayne Trigger. They have excellent marksmanship and hand-to-hand -hand combatants. They first appeared in All-Star Western number 58, as I said, 
It was the first issue of that title under its new name. Previously, it was known as All-Star Comics, which, if I'm not mistaken, was a superhero comic. And one of the first... And was one of the features that replaced the previous stars, the Justice Society of America. Told you. Anyways, uh, the series featured the adventures of a pair of twin brothers, Walt and Wayne Trigger. Walt is a sheriff, while Wayne is a civilian. However, Wayne is more accurate and faster on the draw with firearms than his brother, a secret only known by the pair. The series' running theme has Wayne impersonating Walt on various adventures and needed, though secretly wearing identical clothes and using a twin of Walt's horse, so no one suspects that, you know, the one's covering for the other. It ran through All-Star Western number 116 in 1961, after which they were replaced by another feature and were unseen until Showcase number 72, which came out in February of 1968, when the story was reprinted under the banner Top Gun, a one-shot filler issue. In 1973, they were given a short-lived title. The twins also appeared in the All-Star Squadron during the Crisis on Infinite Earths, at which point it was revealed they reside on Earth 2. Their origin was told in Secret Origins, Volume 2, Number 48, in April of 1990. Uh, for more on them, definitely check out Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast, Episode 48. And they were also seen in Weird Western Tales, Number 71. The final character that I mentioned uh, was referred to as Flamebird, which I'll talk about later on when I talk about the actual issue. Uh, but actually, I guess his name was Firehair. Again, I'll talk about this here in a minute, but this was a thanks to Clinton Robinson from the Coffee and Comics blog. Uh, this is apparently a mistake. In that scene, Power refers to him as Flamebird, but like I said, it appears to be actually Flamehair. His first appearance was Showcase number 85, September of 1969. That was like two months before I was born, three months. Uh, Firehair was born sometime during the 1800s. He was the lone survivor of a wagon train massacre by the Blackfoot Indians. The infant boy was adopted and raised by the Blackfoot chief, Gray Cloud. By the age of 18, Firehair was more skilled than any of his peers in the tribe and left to discover his true heritage. He became a protector on those plains and sadly was despised by both the whites and the Indians. At some point in his life, Firehair experienced two bizarre manipulations of the time stream. He was present during the crisis on infinite earths when the various parallel worlds and timelines of the multiverse began to overlap with one another. He was also one of the many time-loss adventurers who found themselves trapped on Dinosaur Island, where he took place in the War That Time Forgot, which was released in July of 2008. Later in his life, Firehair became a close ally of Hawk, son of Tomahawk. In 1872, he joined, journeyed with Hawk to the hacienda of Lazarus Lane, whom at the time was under the control of the evil Wise Owl. Firehair, along with several other noble gunslingers, helped to defeat Wise Al and free Lazarus Lane. Now that I've covered the Western characters that appeared, let's go ahead and take a look at the actual issue itself. As usual, we're going to start off the cover. We have our Armageddon alien agenda on the, the logo. We have Monarch facing away from us. His helmet's off. We see his hair. In front of him, we have Captain Adam in his cowboy outfit, as we're going to talk about. He's saying, all right, Monarch, you low-down, belly-crawling varmint, make your play. And then we get someone running away from behind him, some other people behind a building and inside buildings watching. Uh, it's a good cover. I like this cover. It's very reminiscent of, of Western movies and Western times, so I got no problem with this cover. It's not the greatest. Again, as I'm going to talk about here in a bit, this series wasn't the greatest. But it wasn't bad. And again, this cover... 
was decent. I would give it a good C plus, maybe a B minus. I can't really complain about it. Then we go into our story itself. Uh, as I talked about there in synopsis, we start off Captain Adam appearing in a field with cattle running at him. And uh, I like this. And again, this isn't the first time he's, he's appeared in front of a, a stampede in quotes. And he references it here. He's like, for crying out loud, how many times can the same thing happen to one guy? Stampede! Again, a great, great splash page of the, stand, of the cattle just rushing down on uh, Captain Adam. And again, I do like that line about how many times can this happen to the same guy. Uh, again, very reminiscent, though this came out first, of Die Hard 2, I believe it was, you know, where he was being attacked by terrorists or whatever, and he's like, yeah, uh, Bruce Willis said the same thing, you know, or pretty much. How many kind of times can the same thing happen to this guy, you know, the one guy? So again, I love that line. I think it's a great line. And like I said, I think uh, Jonathan Peterson used it here first, so... Good on you, Jonathan. That was a great line. Uh, so moving on to the story, Captain Adam's able to power up. So again, he, he, here on page, uh, pages aren't numbered. So I'm looking at page three. Uh, we get a brief shot of Captain Adam holding onto the sphere. And then here at the bottom of the page, we get Captain Adam back to his human form, as I talked about, with the Cowboys, Matt Savage, and all the other guys looking at him. And Captain Adam's buck naked. And luckily, the sand is covering his naughty bits. I do like the fact that the artist was able to cover up, you know, so he's not completely nude, but he, he's got a covering of sand. <laughs> uh, and then again, here we get, you know, never be said that Matt Savage never let a cow poke a need. And again, this is a close-up of Matt Savage. I've never really read any of those comics, so I, the name sounded familiar, but it, when I first read this, it didn't really mean anything to me. I had to look him up. And then story-wise, we go back to Monarch being freed from his suspended hibernation. Uh, and again, here at the bottom of the, this page, again, they're not numbered, so I hate that. It's hard to discuss it, but page where they wake up, uh, Hank is talking about one of the aliens, and he, Hank's realizing that the, the alien leader, I forget his name. Well, Prime One, yeah. Prime One had scheduled the Gargan's pod to open first. And his original plan was for Gargan to get the, the detonator and then, I guess, go home that way, leaving Hank and the other guys in spent hibernation for the rest of their life, I guess. And they would take off. And so, again, that pissed off. And again, I like the look here on Hank's face. His, his eyes are squinched together, and you know, he's really upset about this. I do... Again, while we do have problems with uh, the whole Hank becoming Monarch and this series in general, uh, overall, I do like this panel. And again, it plays up very much to Hank, uh, his his uh, anger and his his uh, hot-headedness, I guess. I, and the next page, we get Captain Adam, as I talked about. He's getting the cowboy uniform on. Someone, yeah, uniform. The cowboy outfit, someone gave it to him. And he's using his quantum energy to, as he says here, a little quantum sewing. And he gives him, changes the symbol that's on there into his own symbol. I guess there was a flower on there to begin with. You can't really tell too well, but he changes it to the quantum. Which kind of maybe answers a question I had from the previous issue. Because if I remember right, the previous issue, he was uh, in the 
Gladiator Times, and well, see, I don't know, no, it doesn't, not really. I think it was on his quote. Well, I went back to shoot real quick to look, and you know, actually, he's got the quantum symbol on his chest. Uh, later on, they have it on his armor, and that may answer why it's on his armor, because he may have, again, done some quantum sewing, as he called it, to put it on there, but it still doesn't explain why it was on his chest, so I, I don't, I still don't know about that. I'd like to talk with Jonathan Pierce if I could to see if I, maybe he, he knows why it was done that way. I don't know if it was his idea or if that was the writer's, or the, I'm sorry, their artist. I did a pet on there. I, I'm curious about that. It kind of bugs me. But uh, again, I do like the art on here. Uh, the cowboys are very, uh, again, in quotes, realistic looking. And so Adam, uh, Captain Adam's talking to these cowboys, Matt Savage. And Johnny Thunder. And I like this guy. Uh, Captain Adam's meeting him and he's like, well, you're really Johnny Thunder? You were my hero as a kid. I must have read every comic book there was about you. And Johnny Thunder's like, can't rightly say I know what you're talking about, friend. What's well, a comic book? And he's like, uh, maybe these cattle rattle my brain more than I thought. <laughs> And uh, he starts entering himself. He says, I'm Captain Adam. Or, no, wait, I mean, and I think it's Matt Savage. Like, oh, a captain, huh? Seems like a cavalry. And so he says, uh, and he thinks he says Adam, A-D-A-M. And he tries to explain, he's like, no, no, Adam. You know, like the nuclear particle. <laughs> and this one, I think, is yeah, Matt Savage, like, nuclear what? Dwadical? Uh, I imagine that's how... Uh, the original Shag pronounces it, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> anyway, so Nathaniel, you know, tells him, I'm just a civilian now, just call me Nat. And so, of course, they, they ride into town with uh, Matt Savage and Johnny Thunder following along. Uh, and then we get to the part where I talked about where we have the, the uprising and Prime One gets killed in front of his son and his son, you know, all they care about is their guns, their violence. If that's all they care about, ruling by force, I will ascend to avenge you. And my rule will be the most violent of all. Right before he's like, Father! And again, for, for being squid face aliens, uh, he's got some tears coming. And it's a very touching scene for what it is. I, I Whatever problems I may have with this series and, and this issue, this isn't one of them. I, I do like the way the aliens are played out here. Again, it's kind of stereotypical that, you know, the father gets gunned down in front of his son. His son takes a, a plea over his father's dead body. Sounds very familiar. But, and again, I mean, this came out in 1991. And, you know, they're talking about violence and guns. And here we are in 2020 having similar issues. And again, I don't want to turn this into a gun debate. Uh, I, I've got my thoughts on I made it clear, I think, maybe over time on my Facebook page. But I think it's interesting that, you know, here we are almost 30 years later and, and we still have, you know, people being gunned down. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Uh, but moving on from the gun scene, we're going to move to more guns. Where we have, where we have Nate and the, the other guy, Cowboys, riding into Dry Gulch. And they go into a bar. And as he walks into the bar here at the bottom of this one page, uh, I do like when they go walking in, uh, they're walking into a saloon. And uh, Captain Adam tells him, you know, the drinks are on me after I cover my property. 
And he's like, well, Pedro, the guy that stole his, the, the, the uh, detonator, is probably in this bar getting drunk. And Captain Adam's like, uh-oh, in there? Sure, where else would varmints like us wash the prayer out of our throats? Something wrong? No, it's just giving my luck lately. I know what's bothering you. Don't worry, Nap. Them cheap stories you hear, hear told got us all wrong. We're running an orderly saloon out this way. Well, there been a fight in here at least three weeks. Come on. And there's, so on this bottom page, there's an old, an old coot sitting there going, thinking to himself, East Coast sissy. And then around the corner, we see Monarch with one of the alien guns, like, it is him. At last, our showdown. And again, this is a Western comic, or Western time. It is a comic book, so it is going to be very stereotypical. And a lot of this is, and as I'm going to get to here in just a minute, very stereotypical. I mean, they've got to hang out in a saloon. And just the dialogue in here is very Western. Again, I wasn't around those times, contrary to what my kids think. So I don't know if that's how they spoke, but it's what you expect from a Western. And they go in the bar, and here in the first panel, we see Pedro holding the uh, the detonator, trying to figure out who he can sell it to. And then on this one page, we meet all these characters. Uh, first, we they see Jonah Hex. Uh, he sees the Trigger Twins, and the guy they're all kind of arguing. Mom always did like you the best. She couldn't tell us apart, you idiots. We got some girl hitting on Captain Adam, and off in the distance, he sees Powell Smith, and he's like, who's that with them? And here's where the error's at. Uh, Powell Smith's like, hmm, maybe this business deal is getting out of hand, Flamebird. And so we get some kid there, and that's why I'm like, I went to the, the inner tubes. I couldn't find anything on a Flamebird for the Old West time. So I went to this, as I mentioned before, I'm on a, a, a podcaster's chat group. And this was late at night when I threw it out there. I'm like, hey, when you guys get up, anyone has an idea in this issue, there's someone called Flamebird. Has anyone heard of him? Do he is? And like I said, thanks to Clinton Robinson. Uh, thanks, Clinton. Uh, he informed me that that more than likely, he's like, are you taking a fire hair? I'm like, I, that, they call him Flamebird. I don't know. So it's a flame hair and that's who this is. So I, I don't know. If that was the writer made a mistake, or if the letterer miswrote the name, or I mean, again, if no one cares about Flame Hair, so they call him Flame Bird, and, and no one really caught. I, I don't know. Or Dennis O'Neill, the editor, fell asleep on the job. I, I don't know. That would be a. I mean, if the writer or whoever made the mistake, that would be Dennis O'Neill's job to catch. And then another big guy comes up, and he sees this girl flirting with Captain Adam. And so, again, they see, throws them around, you know, he's ready to fight them. Captain Adam's able to duck as uh, this big burly guy, socks swings. The big guy named Bull. He swings at the guy standing there who we find out is Batlash, which I forgot to mention in my opening in the, the synopsis. And so, yeah, 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 like Batlash, because this was on a different page, and I, I forgot to look at this page when I was looking at it. And again, that starts out a barroom brawl. Again, all the Western heroes, and then we get a big splash page. Again, it's a good splash page. My only problem with this is that all these, these, these Western characters, in quotes, these people that had books and appeared in books, are all at the bar at the same time. It's a little, oh, just, just the fact that they were all at the bar at the same time, just kind of, is really odd. 
I understand just for the comic book purposes, but and just a way to get all their their Western characters in this one issue. As we're going to find out, there's not much more chance to get them in here besides here. So I can see what Jonathan was going for, but it just seems, yeah, just a little thrown in there. And as I said, we get a barroom brawl. We get, I think it's Batlash swinging on Chandelier. Uh, and they start fighting. You know, like just a huge splash page. You know, there's just one bar, bar winch, I guess. Hitting a guy on top of the head of a, a mug. Guys on top of the bar fighting. People being thrown around. Johnny Hex socking somebody. This one girl down the floor staring at the camera. She's someone's getting another guy's getting socked as he's looking at us. And this is signed by uh, Alan Weiss in 1991. And again, it's 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 good. Don't get me wrong, it's a western, so you're gonna have a barroom brawl. But that's part of my problem is that it's a western, so they had to have a barroom brawl. It's very much of a trope, it's very much of a stereotypical thing to do. I can't complain about it because it happens all the time, but that's kind of why I'm complaining about it. Uh, but for what it is, if, again, if you can get over the whole convenience of all these heroes being at one place and, of course, a barroom brawl breaking out. And, and you knew it was going to be a barroom brawl with Captain Adam. You know, he starts walking. He's like, oh, not my luck. And, of course, we get a big fight. And, again, we get a little some dialogue here. We get John Hex hitting somebody saying, Dad, damn it, not trying to be nice today. And he goes, Batlash is like, Jonah, that ugly face of yours is good for one thing, fighting. Now hurry up, I'm on my third guy. Whoops, pardon my fist, friend. And Captain Adam goes to hit another cowboy standing there, and this is so cool. Here, pal, this one's for... And he selects this guy. You hear a ting, and he's like, what, what gives? And we find out it's Hank, and he's like, what's the matter, Partner? No kind words for an old friend. And Monarch picks Nate up over his head. And Nate's like, Monarch? And again, the dialogue here is a little, little, little wonky, I guess. A little, little, I don't know. So Hank picks up Captain Adam. And he's like, as he's holding in the air, Captain Adam's like, what? Hey, what? pet me down. There's getting thin up here. And so he says that. So Hank can do his next line, which is, oh, yeah. How about if I give you some fresh air? Bwahahaha. And of course, being a big fan of the Giffen D. Mateus uh, Just League International podcast, shout out to Shag. Um, I love the Bwahaha, but this whole dialogue here, I mean, Captain Adam, a guy who turns into metal and flies through the air, flies through space, complaining about hanging up in the air, saying the air's getting thin up here. I, I don't, I don't know. It just, it seems a little hokey. Cheesy, that's the word I've been looking for. And normally I love cheese, but that's just a little too thick for me. Uh, but Hank Monarch throws Captain Adam through a window, and he's like, "Sorry, Cap, I was aiming for the wall." And Adam's like, uh, Nate's like, "What are you doing here? I thought I left you back to the dinosaurs." And, and he's like, "The aliens? Well, that's the funny part about it all. See, I know I couldn't trust you. You're too nice. But those weasels make great allies. So hire me to bring back this toy you stole. It'll be a good shot of uh, Nate. Or, I'm sorry." Hank standing here holding the, the detonator. And then there's a nice shot here on this page of Captain Adam. So one side we have, and it's not quite the same type of panel. This one's a closed-in panel showing an upward-looking shot of Hank holding the uh, detonator under his cowboy jacket. We can see his monarch armor. And then the opposite panel, the third panel, 
we have a nice shot of Captain Adam standing there in a, a cowboy standard pose. His hat's hanging behind him, and he's just like, he's ready for a, a duel. And then as Captain Adam felt this face down with Monarch, one of the aliens comes behind him with one of their guns, and he tries to shoot Captain Adam. He says, Captain Adam, don't move. I have you covered. Now give me the detonator, or I'll be forced to do this to you. And he lets off the, the gun that blows up the top of the saloon. And again, another little bit of the dialogue here that's kind of got some problems. We have Monarch standing there. It looks like he's holding the detonator. And then the alien comes up behind Captain Adam and tells him to hand over the detonator. I, I don't know. I, again, Hank's already got the detonator, so I don't know why the alien's asking for it. A bit of either. I don't know. Either. Maybe he wasn't, Hank wasn't supposed to have the detonator at this time. The artist made a mistake, or Jonathan Peterson made a mistake in the diet. I don't quite know. Again, just those little things that, what the heck? And so, as I said, the alien shoots his, his laser beam at the top of the saloon, causes it to explode, and Adam, Nathaniel, falls to the ground and uses his finger like a gun and shoots him. Again, nice scene of him laying there on the ground, shooting the alien, knocking him down, and then below that, he's blowing smoke off his finger, saying, ha, huh, still the fastest quantum blast in the West. <laughs> Next panel over, the old guy's like, wow, that's got to be the quickest draw I ever saw. Another guy's like, you're telling me I didn't even see him pull his gun. <laughs> and then we get uh, Captain Adam jumping on top of Monarch, who's picked up the alien's gun. Again, a little bit of a quirk here, I guess. Oh, maybe they, something got missed or what happened. But for some reason, Hank has dropped the detonator to pick up this alien gun. I don't quite know. I know he wants, and maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe it's just his, his hatred for Captain Adam is so great and he wants to destroy him so bad that he's willing to put the detonator down to pick up the gun to shoot Captain Adam. I'm assuming that's what's going on here. And they're fighting. Captain Adam's trying to explain to him that, you know, the aliens are going to use the detonator to destroy the Earth. And I, they're fighting... Uh, I think it's Batlash and uh, I'm terrible at these cowboy names. The other guy, one of the other guys standing there and one guy's like, what do you think? Should we help him? Nah, only looks like he's going to lose. After all, Nate's, if Nat's dead, he won't be able to buy those beers he promised. And so as they're fighting over the gun, uh, Nate's trying to explain to Hank how the aliens are going to explode the detonator, destroy the Earth, and make a wormhole back to their planets. And Hank thinks he's either lying or crazy. He's like, you're nuts. You know that? I enjoy killing you. Now let go of this gun, and I'll make this nice and quick. And all of a sudden, one of them shoots the gun off, hits the ground, causing an earthquake. And apparently, uh, they're, they're here for an oil rush. Again, they mentioned earlier they're here to get rich. There's something here that's going to make them become all rich. And Nate, at this moment, realized that there's, they're here for an oil rush. The whole town's one big geological find. And the stray blast that they just shot into the ground has triggered an earthquake. So, before I go any further on that, just talk about that. Again, it's a very powerful gun. Again, they're able to shoot that off, and it's able to cause an earthquake. Maybe, so again, it's an alien gun, so I guess I can't complain about that. Maybe they had it on a higher setting because it just destroyed the top of a building. Now it's able to destroy, cause an earthquake. And maybe if it's on a tectonic plate, maybe, I guess it's possible. 
Uh, but they also say this set off an earthquake in San Francisco. And so there was a huge San Francisco earthquake. And the dialogue here says, uh, let me find that again real quick. Oh, as uh, the narrator's talking about the shockwaves travel for untold miles, triggering repeated reactions that only build in successive intensity. And so is that by the time the earthquake swings north and hits full force, no one in particular seaboard city is prepared, and thus San Francisco will suffer its greatest tragedy. So I, I was wondering, was there an actual earthquake in the 1800s? Was, again, I know there was earthquakes because San Francisco always has earthquakes. But I was curious if there was a big one. And so I'm looking on Wikipedia, and I found a link to the SanFranciscoMuseum.org. It wasn't Wikipedia, it was uh, Google. My Google foo. Uh, SFMuseum.org and it talked about all the different earthquakes in that time frame. In October 21st, 1868, there was a great earthquake that struck San Francisco at 7.53 a.m. with a second shock at 9.33 a.m. Uh, the main fact that the earthquake was felt in the city. Four persons were killed by the corners of cornices and chimneys. Custom houses were badly damaged. The custom house was badly damaged. Uh, several other buildings were damaged. Uh, was, it was quite severe, threw down some tottering walls. There were a succession of slider shocks throughout the day. So I'm wondering if this was that earthquake. It may be in DC's reality, this is what caused that earthquake to happen. Uh, again, that, that looks to be the biggest one in this time frame where this could have appeared. Again, on this page, there's a lot of earthquakes. But seeing how uh, this, again, it's highlighted in blue. That's a link somewhere. A great earthquake of San Francisco. Uh, oh, they saw a newspaper article about it. Okay. Or uh, reprinting one or whatever. Uh, there's also one in October 19, 1865. There was a much San Francisco was wrecked by an earthquake. So I'm not quite sure which great earthquake, because again, San Francisco's had quite a bit of earthquakes. I'm not quite sure which one this is referring to. Again, if I get a chance to talk with Jonathan Peterson, I may have to ask him which one he was going for. <laughs> but again, it's a nice page here, again, uh, showing the San Francisco earthquake. Uh, a little cartoony, I think, but again, we get the rolling streets, we get fires, we get explosions, we get buildings falling, people, uh, a guy holding on to dear life falling into the hole. Slightly cartoony a little bit, I guess, but not bad. On the page before that, where we see the ground cracking as it leads to San Francisco. It's nice, some nice drawings in this. Some nice art. And then the two men and the detonator fall into the, the uh, hole that opens up in the earth underneath them. And again, Nate, not Nate, Hank is so upset with, uh, with Ma, uh, Captain Adam that he's like, you know, this is your fault. I had a plan. I had allies. We're going to send me home. But now we'll never reach them. Well, listen, Tin Man, if I'm going to die, I'm taking you with me. And again, so they fall in, and as they fall in, Captain Adam's yelling that the, the stray energy from the earthquake has upset the internal power balance, and once again, it's going to blow, and Hank's like, you don't mean, oh, crap, not again. We get a, as it explodes, <laughs> the ground explodes where the detonator goes off. And then we get the guy standing around talking about Lash like, I, they both fell in. I don't reckon anyone ever survived that blast. I think it was Matt Savage like, poor Nat, he was a good man. And uh, Bat Lash, hey, he died with his boots on. I think that's where he wanted to go. 
Well, and I think it's a. Uh, I forget which one this is. Anyway, one of the other Indi- Indians, one of the other uh, cowboy guys are standing. He's like, see upstairs, Nat. Hope you can buy that beer in heaven. And then all of a sudden, we get oil gushing out of the ground, and, and one of the cowboys guys, hey, look, we're rich. They had a gusher. And someone's like, hey, who? The old Nate's still looking out for his old friends. And one of the cowboy guys is like, yeah, we're rich. And the Indian Sandy's like, what do you mean, we, white man? This land is government issue. It still belongs to the Indians. We haven't sold it to you yet. You're still broke. And they start fighting again. We have a caption here saying, and so the sun sets on another colorful day in the Old West. And again, I, I don't know. It's maybe it's just the mood I'm in right now. It's just complaining about all these Western barroom brawls and brawls and all that. It's par for the course. It happens in movies all the time, so I, I can't complain about it. Uh, but then we see Captain Adam. Again, he's in a cowboy uniform still, materializing in. We got a Nazi flag behind him, the, the, uh, the swastika. And we got all the, he's surrounded by Nazi. Hands up, pig. Well, well, look what we have here, Hans. And it seems that we have a real life American cowboy, no? Or perhaps a spy. And so, again, yeah, I. Nat's uh, uh, translator's translating what they're saying so he understands them. I, and again, I understand, I'm assuming that's translator. Maybe they can tell he's American, so they're speaking English. I'm not sure which it is. If they're speaking English, I don't have a problem with it. If it's a translator, I don't know why he, he would be translating well, well into Vel, Vel. I, I don't know. Again, so I first thought it was the translator, but looking at it, uh, the one guy says he, he appears to be a live American cowboy, so maybe they're, they're speaking English just so that uh, Nate can understand him. Again, overall, it's not a bad issue. Uh, I go back and forth on this. I know, like I think I've said before, I talked on the Facebook group I'm on. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to be doing the Armageddon Alien Agenda. Anyone want to join me on that? And the, the chat got very quiet. I think people were hiding under rocks and, oh, sh- don't don't get me... I, you know, so uh, people weren't really interested in talking about this. Well, I had a couple of people that was maybe interested in Inferno. But yeah, this one here, when I tell people I'm doing this one, they're like, why? Were you a glutton for punishment? <laughs> but overall, I'm going to say so far, and again, I've got one more issue to go. But overall, it hasn't been a horrible series. It's not great, but I don't think it's bad. Uh, but let's go and find out. Let's go and go to the final issue. This is Armageddon, Alien Agenda number four. The cover date was February of 1992. The on-sale date was January the 7th of 1992. Cover price was $1. The title of this was called All This and World War II. And that's two as in T-O-O, not the number two. A written once again by Jonathan Peterson. Penciler, Dick Giordano. Inker, Steve Mitchell. Letter, Albert Tobias de Guzman. Color is Tom McGraw and still edited by Dennis O'Neill. And the cover on this was by Dick Giordano. So again, no matter what I say about this series, at least this issue is drawn by Dick Giordano, one of the greats, in most people's opinion, and mine too. So again, our synopsis on this. Uh, we start off Nate in a chair being questioned and beat by a German officer. The Germans believe that he is an American flyboy spying on Germany. Before he be knocked out, Nate notices the date is September the 10th, 1944. He's then thrown to a cell with other prisoners after making friends, in quotes, with a couple of kids. Captain decides that he must take action, whether it changes the future or not. So he breaks out, 
breaks free and frees all the prisoners along the way, destroying the camp. As Captain Adam flies off, a German, I'm assuming it's a German soldier, lines a scope on the kids that Nate befriended and an older woman, and the scene concludes as the gun fires. Meanwhile, Hank awakens on an island surrounded by Japanese soldiers, which he takes out. He finds a bomb that the Americans are testing in secret. Captain Adam shows up. The two begin fighting again as the seal and the detonator breaks, causing another explosion mixed with the nuclear bomb. As the two men are once again thrown through time, a tidal wave wipes out the American ship that were testing the bomb. To keep this whole thing secret, Captain Adam and Monarch are separated as Captain Adam lands in present time. Uh, finally, back with the aliens. Remember them? The son of the previous Prime One discovers Captain Adam returning to the present and vows that he must die. And the issue ends with the promise of a new Captain Adam series. Uh, technically, it says, as the all-new Captain Adam returns, coming to a comic rack soon near you. So it seems like there's a new series coming out. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about uh, the actual issue itself. So we start off the cover. Again, I like this cover. It's when I remember we get a, a giant white blast blasting both Captain Adam and Monarch, and it says, and now, the final moments. Again, it's all done in black and white, except for the, the color of the lettering of the creators, the DC logo on the top, and the title Armageddon Alien Agenda, and the, all the lettering. But the picture itself is just a black and white picture, a huge white blast, illuminating our heroes in shadows. Overall, I, again, this is Dick Giordano. I, I can't complain. I love Dick Giordano's work for the most part, and this, again, is just... Another fabulous piece of work. Again, we get Captain Adam is being cover, kind of cover his face. I mean, not covering his face. He just has his arm up. Hank, just the fear on Hank's uh, fear and maybe all his pain on Hank's face is being blasted by this blast. It's not something from the actual issue. I guess maybe it is when they get blasted at the very end. But yeah, it's a good cover. I like it. In fact, this may be thinking about it now this may be possibly my favorite cover of the entire run i'm just taking a quick look back at i mean the last one had the cowboy one which was pretty good the one before that had uh captain adam and uh gar gergand whatever his name was in the the coliseum fighting that wasn't a bad one and then the first one is a little more memorable to me because i remember this cover a little busy at the once one got the aliens watching Monarch and Captain Adam fighting. Uh, so out of the four covers, I would say that this is probably my most favorite of the four covers. As I talked about, we get the, the Germans interrogating uh, Captain Adam. And so again, since we know that his translator doesn't translate what he says, it just translates what he hears. I'm assuming they're all speaking English. So again, I understand they're interrogated. They think he's a, a American spy. Trying to find out what the detonator is. And Captain Adam's he's like, oh God, that still can't be with me. Not with them. And then that's why he looks up and says September 10th, 1944. I'm, he says that uh, it means nothing to them, but to Captain Adam. I'm not quite sure what he's referring to there, unless he's talking about that secret testing. Uh, I looked up, because again, Captain Adam came out in the 60s. If I'm not mistaken, I in DC though, in the current DC universe, he came out in the 80s and he was subjected to the blast like in the 60s. So I'm not quite sure there 
why it's needed in Captain Adam. I looked up on Wikipedia and Google, looked on the internet to see what I could find out about September the 10th, 1944 in reality. And these are the things I found. There was an RAF bomber command began Operation Paravine, another attack on the German battleship, Chippens, anchored north Norway, northern Norway, the U.S. 3rd Armored Division occupied St. Vif and reached the German border, the liberation of Luxembourg, and German submarines U-2, sorry, U-20, and U-23 were scuttled in the Black Sea to prevent capture by advancing Soviets. So I'm not quite sure, unless maybe he just knows about this, the secret nuclear testing, which I couldn't find anything on offhand. Maybe I've missed something. Again, maybe my Google Foo skills were a little weak. If anyone there knows what I, the September the 10th of 1944 is referring to, let me know. I'm curious at this point. And like I said, when he's getting knocked out, he says, it's not, it's, if it's right, it may not mean much to them, but to Captain Adam, it's, ugh. So I'm not quite sure what that date means. Anyway, let's move on. But if anyone out there knows what Captain Adam, other, other than maybe that he knows about the bomb, what that date would mean to Captain Adam, uh, let me know if you know. I like how he gets thrown in the cell, befriends these kids. They give him the last bit of their food because they tell he's hungry. Uh, again, just moving on. He's he's in a German prison camp. Again, some people don't care for when comics cross over to reality. But I, I don't mind it. Again, this is something that actually happened. And again, we'll get here in just a minute. Uh, before we get there, though, we get to a scene of Prime One, the new one, which was the kid from last issue. Again, he's ranting and raving, as lunatics tend to do. They've got a statue of, uh, he's supposed to be his father. He has fa- his forefather slew the beast that confined them. So they got one of the, the uh, Mids Gargant holding a spear onto Captain Adam. And again, he's ranting and raving, and uh, again, the the religious fanatics, if you will, have kind of taken control, and someone stands up to him and says, you know, wait, this is an ancient myth, a religious fable taught to us as children. You're supposed to be our leader. Act like it. This insane statue shamed your predecessors. And he has his guards just shoot this guy down because, again, very much of a tyrant at this point. Again, he's upset that his father was killed in front of him. So, again, as tyrants tend to do, you know, he tells everyone to do, uh, pledge their undying allegiance to him and your purity into me. And I promise you this, we will have our deliverer yet. And then we cut to, like I talked about in the synopsis, Hank going through the jungle, finding some Japanese, uh, a little fight, fight there. He takes the Japanese guys out. And again, they're speaking English too. I don't know how well the Germans and the Japanese spoke English and how much of it's for convenience sake. But again, helps us out. And again, he, I like this, Hank uh, picks up one of the, the Japanese guys and throws him to the other and says, let me show you boys how I play bowling for Nimrods. There we go. Strike! And that's when he sees there's a, a Jap- Japanese flag. And he looks out and he sees a bunch of American ships out in the distance. 
back to the uh, the prison camp. I do like here. So the kids, you know, they give Nate the last of their meal. They want him to have it. And I know, honey, you eat it. You know, giving the last of the dinner. Again, these these kids are prisoners. As we find out in just a minute, their their mom is dead. They were taken to the building, which I'm assuming is the showers they've always heard about last week, and they've never seen her again. And again, so these kids have lost their mom. No mention of his dad, so they're assuming their dad's dead. Uh, they're prisoners of German soldiers. They could be killed at any time, and they're showing kindness on this stranger. Again, it's a very touching scene, very moving. And it makes Captain Adam realize that, you know, no matter what, he's got this little girl crying to him, and she's like, Again, this dialogue here, it's like, uh, Captain Adam's like, I'm sorry, you have to excuse me. He's stopping himself from crying. And the little boy is, it's all right to cry, Mr. Really. The little girl's like, Mom told us to help take away the pain. It's going to be our turn to go into that building soon, too, won't it? And then maybe we'll see Mommy again. And again, the girl crying. And again, this touches Captain Adam. as the oldest kid. Because again, Captain Adam has kids of his own. And so just holding these kids have lost their parents reminds them of his own kids, reminds them what it would feel like for his own kids to lose their parents, which they kind of did lose their dad because he, he was jettisoned through time for 20 years. And again, he's, after that, he's got some tears for him. He's like, dear God, the things he's, they've seen, the scars, they'll bear. They're just kids, damn it. No, 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 this isn't right. This isn't fair. Screw history. As he turns into Captain Adam, explodes the side of the building, and uh, they come running up shooting, and a lot of them enter their clips into it, and Captain Adam's like, finished? Good. My turn. And he starts taking them all out, takes out a tank. Uh, they're one of the German officers. You heard me a breakout. Of course it's serious. It's an attack. Just send help. Send armor. Send men. Just save me. Ah. As Captain Adam knocks him out, just shut up. And get a complaint. Because that's what I do. The guy, he's speaking English, looks like. They don't have, usually they'll have little marks around it saying that, you know, it's a foreign language. They're not doing that here, which, again, you would lead you to believe that they're speaking English. They're not speaking to prisoners. He's speaking to his, his superiors or someone else elsewhere. So it seems like he would be yelling in uh, German. A minor nitpick. I mean, I, in my head, I could pet them there. Maybe they came off. Maybe... I, I don't know. I'm assuming it's a letter mistake there. Hey, so the guy pulls his gun out, shoots at Captain Adam. He's like, I didn't. My orders. And Captain Adam pulls the detonator from him that he has. Or no, he pulls the gun from him. He has the detonator in his other hand. And he's like, you got five minutes to clear your men out, General. Or I'll be responsible for what happens. Once everyone gets out, he blows up the building. He says, you know, something I should have done a long time ago. Stand for something. So again, he's just kind of questioning his own his own beliefs and and what he feels he's doing. So again, I, I do uh, the problems we've had with Armageddon two thousand one. Any problems with this series? Again, a lot of people didn't care for it. I actually, I'm gonna say I liked it. Um, again, I'm still reading it. I'm still re well, not quite done yet, but this is very much of a character piece for Captain Adam. He, he gets kind of reexamined and. I'm just trying to think back about the last four issues. Uh, there wasn't a lot of him wondering about, you know, his mission in life. Uh, so I do like how he's, you know, he's saying, this is something I should have done a long time ago, stand up for something. 
and this was after a series. I'm trying to remember his own series. It's been all I've read. It's been 30 years ago or whatever it was. So this time maybe I'll have to ask Jay Jones or another Captain Adam fan and see if this is something he was questioning previously. I don't know about that. But it is a nice little scene here where he's loved the Nazi camp. And again, he doesn't care about what's going to happen to President Day with this. He's just doing what's right. Again, he, he as it says here, you know, he, he would sacrifice his own, own humanity to be here and have these powers and not do anything. And a lot of heroes worry about when they go through time about not wanting to change time. Again, a very real thing to be concerned about. But at this point, Captain, I was like, the heck with history, the heck what whatever happens. I, I can't let these, these kids die. And not just the kids, but people in general. And so he tells me, you know what? I got to go. I got some things I need to do. Yeah, I remember I always love you. And the kid's like, one of the kids, I love you now. And the other one's like, well, if we ever see you again? Count on it. But if all goes right, it won't be for many years from now. As he flies off. And they're off in the, I missed this the first time. We get a German soldier, I'm assuming. Someone's saying in the, in the tree saying there. And as the captain down flies away after the detonator, we see a gun. Like I said, there's a woman with two kids. And it looks like the gun's aimed at, the kids. I don't know which one. We only get one gunshots. Uh, and again, the kids are all happy. It wasn't that not the best. I bet he flew off to beat the rest of those lousy Nazis. We'll be okay now. Nat promised. And the one was like, shh. I thought I heard, children, look out. Blam. Arg. We get a caption box in. And so barbaric moment. And time concludes for now. So again, it is a, it's a little, I don't want to say depressing, but it is a little a sad pin in this. The you know, Captain Adam blows up the camp. He, he does his best to save all these people from the Nazis, from the Germans. And these two kids he saved, at least one of them dies. We don't know for sure which one. It may have been the old lady. Someone out of these three, the, the two, one of the two little kids, the old lady, or maybe all of them die. That's all we get. And again, it's a blam. I, I don't know. For, and there's a click, so I'm assuming it's a single shot gun. I don't think like an Uzier... Uh, multi-firing gun. Again, I'm not a big gun guy. I'm not sure the proper word I'm looking for, but uh, an automatic. There you go. Uh, popped in my head all of a sudden. But, so we need at least one kid who died, maybe all three of them. We don't know. We're, we're never going to know. Uh, moving on, we've got Captain Adam flying out to the, the Pacific where, again, as I talked about him in uh, Monarch Fight, and the bomb goes off. And here we go. Here we get the cover where the detonator goes off. It sets off the nuclear bomb. And so, yeah, we get the cover here. Not a full page. It's a full page with some panels set on top of it. So you only get the ex part of the explosion. But, yeah, this is very much the cover here. And then we go out to the sea where we get the uh, Americans watching the bomb go off. And it was the... <laughs> And there's a great panel here of the nuclear bomb going off, you know, mushroom cloud, and the crew's watching there. They're all lit up in white from the, the explosion. And all of a sudden, a, a tidal wave whoosh, sinks all the boats. And again, it says here, you know, an unexplained calamity in military history comes to a close for now. So again, I'm assuming that maybe that's, maybe that's why I couldn't find anything on Google about it because no one ever knows because... Everyone was wiped out. But then how would Captain Adam know? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still wondering about that whole date thing. And then we Captain Adam on our flying through time. 
Captain Adam lands on the ground with a little dog licking him. Name Rusty. Owned by somebody. Oh, look like the guy's last name. Maybe Irwin, maybe? Hmm. It's a shout out to Steve Irwin. Issued December of 1991. So he knows Zach and President Heimer are pretty close to it. Hey, gets a nice shot here. This last panel on this page. It's page 22 or so. He's, you know, a sh uh, Captain Adam in the shadows. The dog's like, rawr, rawr. Captain Adam's like, hello, America. I am home. And he feels... The sunlight streaming on them. It's a nice ending to this story. But then we get a little, a little epilogue, I guess, where we have the Prime One. One of his people says they found Captain Adam. He's reappeared finally. And so we get the alien saying, Captain Adam must die. And we get a little blurb here that says, The battle across the ages concludes, and the saga of Monarch continues. As the all-new Captain Adam returns, Coming to, to a comics rack near you. And we see an image of Captain Adam with the dog tying next to him, his arms raised in the air, that last panel from the previous page where he's, he's celebrating the fact that he's home. Uh, and again, so this insinuates that there's going to be another Captain Adam series at some points. I looked up. The next time he appears is in Just League America number 80, which came out in September of 1993, which is like a year, year and a half after this series. He's in there for about nine months, and then four months after that, he stops appearing in there. He's in Zero Hour, and then he's in Extreme Justice. So I'm not quite sure. It seemed like there was going to be a series. Uh, again, I asked on my podcasting gr group, and again, Clinton Robinson came to the rescue and posted an article that said that maybe there appeared like there was going to be something coming out, but... Uh, again, I'm trying to get hold of maybe a Jonathan Peterson or someone. Maybe I can find out what happened to this supposed series. But again, that is Armageddon Alien Agenda. All four issues. Uh, overall, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I may be blackballed from the rest of my podcasting uh, peers, but I, I don't think it was a bad series. I enjoyed it back in 1991 when I read it. And I actually enjoyed it this time. Was it perfect? No. Oh, yeah, I'll give you that. It wasn't perfect. But I thought it was a decent series. Uh, again, there was some... The alien... I don't think the aliens ever appear again. Um, next time Captain Adam shows up in Just Leaks, I don't think the aliens ever mentioned there. I'd have to read those Just League issues just to see what happened when he appeared there, if I even mentioned or... How that was handled, I don't know. I remember reading when it first came I know I read it when it first came out, but I don't remember details at this point. But again, I'm going to say overall, this was a, a decent series. It wasn't as horrible as most people seem to remember or claim it is. So, Or maybe I'm just a softie on it because it's Armageddon. I, I don't know. Huh. Anyways, that's all I really got to say. But what do you guys think? Do you guys, did you guys read this? Did you enjoy it? Am I crazy? Let me know what you think about this. Again, go ahead and send me an email to head at headspeaks.com and uh, let me know. But that's going to do it for this, this segment. I'm going to take a quick podcasting break. I'm going to give me some more water and play some promos. And I'll be right back with the next section. Hold tight. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. 
theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. And when he does vanish, we're going to be there to see it. I'm Aaron Moss. And I'm Michelle Moss. I've seen an episode or two of the show, but this is my first time watching it through, which makes me like Sam. And I've seen every episode multiple times. So I guess that makes me uh, Ziggy. Join us monthly as we watch Quantum Leap episode by episode and then we'll discuss it. On the Star Bright Project. Available on its own feed. Or under the Headcast Network. Come um, take, take the, the leap, leap with us. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994. Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfischdafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Oh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh, Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD. You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DC OCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think I can claim you on <laughs> benefits. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when should we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. And now back to Head Speaks.
welcome back. Now for our next segment. months at the movies with head though this time i guess the, the title it's a little misleading you're not just at the movies with head but you're at the movies with head and his wife michelle hi michelle hello uh, i planned this this segment a couple of months ago but just due to timing i didn't get it recorded uh, this time i'm going to look at the different time travel tv shows that's out there that's been out there and give my thoughts on the ones i've watched or what i think about it and get some michelle's thoughts too uh, the reason I'm doing this is, and I originally was going to do this, is that a couple people are doing some podcasts on time travel. That's right. Me and Michelle have started doing two new podcasts. We're doing the Star Bright Project, which is me and Michelle looking at, I guess Michelle and I, looking at Quantum Leap. I'm a longtime old school fan of Quantum Leap. Uh, this is Michelle's first time of actually sitting through the entire series. And then we're also doing Voyager's cast, which is based on the old TV show from 82, 1982, Voyager's, about time travel. Again, I watched it when it first came out. I loved it. And Michelle's sitting through watching it this time with me. So, again, we get a longtime fan's opinion and perspective at it. And then also we get a new a newcomer, a beginner view on the show. So, uh, they're both on the HeadCast Network. They have their own feeds. Uh, definitely check them out. The first episode of each of them released. But enough about that. Let's go ahead and move on to this segment where we talk about time travel TV shows. So again, I'm going to make mention of them and we'll each give our own thoughts on them. The first one on my list, again, this is no really order, just what I found when I was doing searches on them. The first one to read off is Timeless. This was an NBC show. It was here relatively recent. Uh, I enjoyed that. It only lasted, I think, two seasons, and then they had a TV movie to finish it off. And it's about these three guys that are chasing some bad guys through time, trying to stop them from messing things up. Uh, did you ever watch that one, Michelle, or no? No, I don't think I did. Okay, I, I didn't think so. But yeah, Timeless, I really enjoyed that. I, I was saddened that it was that it left so soon, but definitely I recommend, if you like time travel shows, definitely check that one out. Uh, the next one I mentioned is Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, Michelle, have you heard of Legends of Tomorrow? I like that show. <laughs> yes, Legends of Tomorrow is a C CW show based on uh, DC Comics, kind of. They take a, It started out with Rip Hunter taking a handful of uh, heroes and villains and, and BC listers, and he says that they can help him stop some bad guys that are going through time, and they become legends. Uh, original cast had the Atom, Firestorm, and some other characters going through time with Rip Hunter. On paper, Rip Hunter, Time Travel, Firestorm, The Atom. This should have been my most favorite show ever. Yeah, well, when it first started, it was I was really excited about it, too. And then I just stopped watching it for the longest time. And then kind of just came back this season just to kind of watch it. And it's just now my goofy show to watch. Not even really necessarily because it, I enjoy superheroes, but it's just more of a safe goofy show to watch so that tells you how much i <laughs> on the level of 
comic book level it is for me, but... And that's, I think that's one reason why I don't care for it as much as I should, because they've, they've really embraced the goofy aspect of it. Right, and taken away the good comic book aspect yes. of it. Not that, I mean, they had some to begin with, but to begin with, I mean, they had Rip Hunter, who in the comics is a, is a uh, American. He's... I liked Martin Stein. No, Rip, Rip Hunter. This was, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm going to get there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get there. Like Rip Martin Hunter Stein. was played by Arthur Darville. Who was on Doctor Who as uh, Amy Pond's boyfriend, abuse toy, whatever. Uh, so he's a British guy. I didn't care for him. I don't mind the actor, but I didn't want him playing Rip Hunter. Also, as I mentioned, it had uh, Ray Palmer, a.k.a. The Atom, one of my favorite characters. Superman. <laughs> yes, Brandon Roth did play... Uh, with Ray, sorry, Ray Palmer was played by Brandon Roth, who played Superman in Superman Returns. Superman. <laughs> Superman, Superman, Superman. And I have no problem with Brandon Roth. I thought he did a good job in Superman. I don't like the way the writers and the director and all that's doing it. Again, Ray Palmer in the comics, he has a, a suit, a superhero suit made. It's got made of uh, white dwarf matter that helps him shrink. He's he's a scientist. He's this rich, smart guy, but he's he's not. He doesn't have like his own company. He's not super rich. Whereas this Ray Palmer, he's got a a super suit. But it's like a metal suit, and he doesn't get the shrinking ability till later. And then he doesn't use it very often. He can fly around in it, lasers and all that. And when he first showed up in Arrow, he parked his helicopter on the roof of. Uh, Oliver Queen's building, Queen Enterprises, when because I guess he bought the company out. So I mean, that to me was not Ray Palmer. So that that was a big strike against it. Also, they had Jeff uh, Firestorm, who in this version was Martin Stein and Jefferson Jacks Jackson. Again, Jefferson Jacks Jackson was never part of the Firestorm Matrix. The only Jefferson I, I know of is Ronnie's friend. Again, Ronnie is the original Firestorm. Ronnie Raymond and Martin Stein. Uh, like Michelle said, Martin Stein, uh, the actor that played him, did a fantastic job. I, I would love to see him do a better, have a better chance at it. Uh, he was played by Victor Garber, who's an old school actor, so he's got the talent and the chops. Uh, I didn't care so much for Jefferson. Again, over in Flash, they had... A Ronnie Raymond, but he was an older guy. He was, he wasn't some dumb jock. He was actually working at Star Labs. Uh, I don't know. I just wasn't, and they didn't really use his powers because in the comics, Firestorm he can fly, and his major ability that he uses is atomic. Uh, I forgot the exact what it's called, but he can rearrange the molecules and things and change one thing into something else. He's only did that slightly in the show. He usually like a nuclear fire blast. Uh, this seems more a little more patterned after John Ostender's Firestorm near the end of the run. Uh, had the bra brown costume, kind of like the, the brown Firestorms, the way he looked there at the end. Uh, again, two of my favorite characters, not handled well. Uh, they also had Hawkgirl, Hawkman, Captain Cold... And I like Captain Cold and Heatwave. <laughs> They're fun. Captain Cold was played by Dominic Purcell, and Heatwave was played by Wentworth Miller. I'm sorry, reverse those two. Captain Cold was Wentworth Miller, and Heatwave was Dominic Purcell. 
Eventually, spoilers, Captain Cold, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was killed off in the show. Uh, I, I thought they did a good job overall. Uh, they weren't perfect, but yeah, they, they weren't they weren't a bad team for what you know they were doing. They were much better than uh, Firestorm and the Atom that they were handled at least. But but yeah, that, do you have any thoughts on that you want to talk about on Legends of Tomorrow? No, I well, I really like uh, what's his name. You know, the guy I'm always telling you about that I like. Um, which guy's that? The one with the trench coat. Oh, oh, Constantine. John yeah, Constantine. I really like Constantine. Yeah, John Con- John Constantine <laughs> is played by Matt Ryan on here. He's the same Constantine from the NBC uh, Hellblazer TV show. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, sorry, Matt Ryan does a great job as Constantine. Uh, any problems, I guess in quotes I have with it, is just the way they, they write them. But I think Matt Ryan has the look. He's much better than Keanu Reeves was in the movie Constantine. I just see Keanu Reeves as being from Bill and Ted. I can't get anywhere else from Bill, you know, Constantine or I see him as Neo. And Well, see, in, in the comics, Constantine, he's a, he's a British guy. In fact, he was basically modeled after Sting, musician. Okay. I get a little more of that from Matt Ryan than I do Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Whoa, dude. Yeah, I, just, I agree. Then, not the, I, I think I've already complained about this movie, but to complain about it some more. The very end of it, it just kind of ruins the character for me. Because it's based on a, a storyline from DC Comics, or from Vertigo Comics, which is off of DC. And in the storyline, again, spoilers, Constantine gets cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he gets cancer, and he makes a deal with a couple different demons to keep from dying. Because basically... He makes his deal with a couple of different demons, and when he dies, they're going to have to fight for his soul, and that's going to lo- cause a lot of mayhem and hell, so he's able to come back to life because of that. And in the comics, when he does, he, he makes the deal, he, he comes back to life, he walks away, he smokes a cigarette, and he flips the devil off. A very constantly, very arrogant, very... I could see Matt Ryan doing that. In the Constantine movie, they basically did the same thing, if I'm not mistaken, where he sold his soul, keep from dying, and he walks away. Instead of lighting up a cigarette, because again, he he had cancer, he was dying from, he gets cured from it. An ordinary person would stop smoking, but Constantine says, hell with that, that's not who I am. I'm going to light up again. In the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves, after he gets gets brought back to life, he pops a piece of gun. And to me, that, that... uh, Keanu Reeves as Constantine was wrong to begin with, but having him pop a piece of gun at the end, a piece of gum at the end, to me ruins the character. But again, this isn't about Constantine. This is about Legends Tomorrow. Uh, and again, but my problem, yeah, like I said, is they, they've leaned way too much. It wasn't quite so much in the first season, but they're on season. I think it's five or six now, and they've le- le- uh, season five. And they lean way into the goofy. I like some of the characters, I like some of the storylines, but overall, it's not what I really wanted. Yeah, I agree with that, just because I now watch it for the comical aspect of it. <laughs> and that's it. Next show on my list is Outlander, which is a show on Netflix and stars. It's about some girl that gets thrown back in time somehow. I heard this was a really good show, so Michelle and myself sat down to watch it. 
we watched what five ten minutes of the first episode and it was just way too slow we just couldn't get into it so we turned it off it was uh, bad supposedly it's supposed to be a really good show but I, we just couldn't get into it uh, next one on my list is one that's near and dear to my heart Quantum Leap as I said earlier I'm a longtime fan of Quantum Leap I watched it I started the first season when it came out my mom introduced me to it I watched every episode. I watched reruns on USA, on a couple of different channels. I bought the Blu-ray. Uh, Michelle, are you familiar with Quantum Leap? Um, vaguely. <laughs> because I can't watch more than one episode at a time as we record the podcasts. So. But even before that. Um, okay. So, for me, I've seen a few episodes in my youth. Well, I say youth, but like maybe high school college level and I don't remember if I've seen full episodes or just kind of watched you know half episodes or like this is cool but kept clipping the channels I don't remember I just remember bits and pieces however I will say that the episodes I have seen in full length I am absolutely hooked and love it to pieces Yes, Quantum Leap, it's about this scientist named Dr. Sam Beckett, who invents a machine that allows him to travel in time. Originally, he was supposed to be able to use the travel in time, view things, and then come back. Uh, he left a little premature due to funding issues, and now he's bouncing around in time trying to find his way home. Uh, his assistant, his buddy, his friend is uh, Admiral Al Calavici, who is a hologram for him. And he actually gives him advice and information on what he needs to do or what he, th- he thinks he needs to do. But anyways, yeah, me and Michelle talked about that monthly over on the Starbright Project. Uh, the next one I briefly mention is Making History. Do you remember Making History, Michelle? Making History. We watched that one. I'm not confusing this one. Making History is about the guys that had the the duffel bag or whatever it was. They would oh, climb inside to and travel the time. Yes. yes, I remember that vaguely, but yes, I enjoyed that <laughs> we one. Watched like, I think it was like on for a season or so. Yes, that but was I, fun. <laughs> it was more of a comedy. It was on, I want to say Fox or something. Or, I want to say Fox. And yeah, I, I enjoyed that for as long as it lasted. It was, it was a, and see, I don't... Again, I, I was saying I didn't care for Legends of Marvel because it went to a comedy aspect. But Making History definitely went for the comedy aspect, and I really loved that one. So, again, that's what that was, where Legends of War was supposed to be more of a superhero show. So, I think that's the problem. Uh, next one on my list is Doctor Who. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Doctor Who, Michelle? Yep. Uh, Doctor Who, again, I've seen a couple episodes here and there when I was younger. Uh, I, me and Michelle and our kids are... my middle son Steven we started watching it when they brought it back in the 2000s Ninth Doctor yes the Ninth ninth Doctor played by Christopher Eccleston in fact I think he's probably my favorite Doctor followed by my favorite Doctor is David Tennant David Tennant but I also like Cavalli I like the new one the only one I care for is Matt Smith his face bothered me see you guys didn't like Matt Smith, but I enjoyed him for the, for for what he was. He was a little goofy. And so they the main thing I didn't like about that run of Doctor Who was two things. One, his face bothered me. 
It looked like he was wearing an ill-formed mask. And the other thing is, during Matt Smith's run, the show wasn't Doctor Who. It was, it was Amy, Amy Pond guest starring Doctor Who. Yeah. And it was all about, you know, because usually... you can't fault him for that. Well, no, but I don't like his face, though, so that's why I fault him. <laughs> and again, I don't fault him per se. I don't, I'm not going to say, you know, Matt Smith's a horrible person for doing that. I blame the writers and directors for that, but that was Matt Smith's Doctor Who. So, I mean, I, you can't divorce the two. But Doctor Who, yeah, I still, I'm still watching it. I, I'm really enjoying it. A lot of people don't care for the, the female Doctor. I'm really, enjoy, really enjoying it. I don't like it. But uh, we'll see what happens. Peter Picaldi. Peter Picaldi. Whatever. Capaldi. Capaldi had to grow on me. I really didn't care for it. I liked him. Do you, Grandpa? <laughs> well, that's what I like because a lot of the doctors were the original were older men. So yeah, I know. I, I know that was probably that was the oldest one you'd watched. But I've seen a few episodes of the older ones. But the minute you sat down and watched on a regular basis, but David Tennant, I could watch him for a very long time. The next one on my list is a show called Life on Mars. This was on NBC. This was a remake of a British show of the same name. Uh, this, it was time travel, but it wasn't traveling. <laughs> what it was, was this was a, a police detective was shot in the line of duty and in modern day, and he wakes up in the, I believe it was the 70s. And so he's trying to figure out how to get home, how to return. Is, it, is, he, is he in a coma dreaming? Is it, did he really time travel? And so how does he get home? And the American version, the British version, ended both very differently. Uh, I don't know if you want me to spoil that, so I won't right now, but I enjoyed both. I enjoyed the ending of the British version better, and the British version also had a sequel called Ashes to Ashes, I believe it was, which was also a similar premise of a time travel show, that same way. And you never did watch that Life on Mars with me, did you? Nope, it was a cop show. <laughs> Yes, it was a, a, a 70s cop show wrapped in a time travel uh, burrito, if you will. Uh, the next one on my list is 11 This was a, a limited six or eight episodes on like Hulu or Apple or somewhere. This was based on a Stephen King book. It starred, oh, what's his face? Um, Franco, James Franco. Don't you don't like him, do you? I hate James Franco. I enjoyed the series, but I again I, I like stuff that James Franco's been in, but not because James Franco's in it. It would have been much better if it had been a different actor. Uh, the TV series was pretty good, but as me and my buddy Jacob always say, the book is always better. Again, this is based on a Stephen King book, eleven twenty two sixty three. I think the title alone kind of tells you what it's about. Uh, briefly, it's about the story starts out with this. Uh, guy that owns this restaurant, a little diner, and he's selling hamburgers really cheap. And this this uh, teacher, professor that's kind of friends with him, he, the professor finds out from the guy that what it is, he's got a, a closet in his, his restaurant that for some reason opens up a, a portal to 1962. It's always the same day. When he goes back. So he's every day or every couple of days he goes back to the same day, buy meat from 1962, which is dirt cheap. So he's able to make really good hamburgers at a really cheap price. And the guy finds out that he's dying of cancer. 
so he he convinces the the uh, main character, I forget his name now on the show or the book, to continue his mission. His mission was he was setting up trying to find out a way to save, you guessed it, JFK. And so our lead character undertakes his mission to try to find a way to st- save JFK from being assassinated. Uh, again, I recommend the book much more than the TV show, but the TV show was fine for what it was. Next one on my list is Journeyman. This was another, I think it was NBC. I remember watching it, but you know what? I can't remember for the life of me what it's about. And I don't think you watched this one with me either. Nope. Uh, next one on my list is 12 Monkeys. I watched the first season of 12 Monkeys. I wasn't, it was okay. It's based on the TV, on the movie, 12 Monkeys. Have you seen that movie, Michelle? Nope. With Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. And I forget what else is on offhand, but yeah, the 12 Monkeys. Oh, Bruce Willis, of course. Bruce Willis is being sent back in the past trying to find out how this virus came about and stop this group that they think is responsible called the 12 Monkeys. Uh, another one is Time Tracks. Time Tracks was another show I used to watch on UPN or somewhere, one of those offbeat channels. Uh, again, I remember the name, but I don't remember much about it. So I'm not going to say it. I, again, I'm not looking up my f- information on these other than the names and what I remember about them. Uh, and Michelle didn't watch that one, so no yeah. sense asking her. <laughs> True Calling, I watched that one. That one there starred uh, Alicia Duku, I believe how you pronounce her name. And and pulling back the curtain a little bit, this is the day before 4th of July, actually the morning of 4th of July, and people get a little, start a little early around here. Actually, they get started everywhere, everywhere but anyways. Uh, True Calling, Elijah Duku, Duku, whatever her name is, played this woman named True, who every so often, she, she would travel back in time like six hours or 12 hours or something like that. And she would try to solve either a mystery or stop someone from being killed. It wasn't a bad TV show. I enjoyed it for what it was. I think it was a Fox show. I don't think you watched that one either, did you? Nope. And the rest of these, I'm going to just read off a couple of names. Again, I didn't really watch any of these. I don't have much information on them. If I come to one I did watch, I'll mention it. A time Tunnel, I believe that's an old time travel show. Sarah Jane Adventures, I watched part of that. That was a, a spinoff of Doctor Who. Uh, going on from there, devs. They got Lost, listed as a time travel show. Me and Michelle watched Lost. We started watching that on our honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, Dark Shadows, Russian Doll, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. I watched first season two of that one. It was all right. It was basically taking Terminator and it was invalidating Terminator, I think, three and beyond with its own continuity. Uh, Frequency. Again, I watched that first season at least that's based on another movie that one there the movie I can talk more about because I'm more familiar with that one it's this guy who works for the NY fire department the New York fire departments and he's got this old ham radio that his dad used to use due to uh, Ori Bell Alice or solar flares or something it's able to make allow him to make a connection through time and talk to his dad who's dead like 20 years prior his dad was killed in line of duty and so him and his dad are trying to find out who this this serial killer was and stop him from killing more people uh, again I, I prefer the movie better than the TV show 
I usually do because usually the TV shows are more dragged out and a lot of times they take the same plot and stuff. So uh, going on from there, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. Next, oh, here's another one we, we can talk about. Travelers. Michelle, have you heard of the show called Travelers? Yes, I have. <laughs> Travelers, one again, I found that in my research. First, we tried the uh, Outlander. We didn't care for that. So let's find another one. So I looked at Travelers. It's a three-season show on Netflix about these people that are travelers that are set from the future to the 21st century trying to write things and make time come out better. We're at the beginning of the third season on this one. Uh, Michelle, what are your thoughts on Traveler? I'm really enjoying it. It's a really good show. Uh, Also, I'm going to mention The Umbrella Academy. Me and Michelle's watched this one. This is about a, a team of superheroes has yeah, to be trained at this academy, and one of the members can travel through time. Michelle, Umbrella Academy, your thoughts on that? It's a fantastic show as well. Any other thoughts on that? No? Um, I like the, the plot and how these, the characters develop in that one. Um, I like the different personalities in that one as well. Uh, the Umbrella Academy, it's based on a comic book series. I haven't actually read the series yet, but again, I'm, much like Michelle, I'm, I really enjoyed the first season of Umbrella Academy. I can't wait for the second season to come out. Uh, great show. Uh, next one I mentioned is Flash Forward. Uh, this was an NBC show, I want to say. I remember watching it. I think this one here was this, I want to say it was a cop or something. Probably because I watched this. It was probably a cop show. Uh, and when he, if I'm not mistaken, he would, if he got killed, he would travel back to the beginning of the next day and relive his day. I really, really enjoyed that show. Uh, next one on this list is Heroes. Uh, me and Michelle, I think you watched Heroes with me, didn't you? Yeah. Or I, part of it? Yeah, no, I watched it. Was it was four seasons. Yeah, I really liked five. it. Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got it on uh, DVD. I really enjoyed Heroes. Uh, the last couple of seasons got a lot of flack. It wasn't as good. Uh, after the writer strike, and I'm not blaming the writer strike because they, they could have came back and, and done it properly afterwards. They kind of left some plot things dangling, and it just wasn't quite as good afterwards. Uh, next one I mentioned is Ashes to Ashes, which I mentioned earlier. It's kind of a sequel to the British. Uh, what was it called again? A Life on Mars. There we go. Uh, a couple of issues I'm going to mention briefly. There was Time Traveling Bong. Never heard of that. Just thought it was an interesting name. Uh, Captain Z-R-O. Never seen that one. Uh, there's a lot of other shows. I may list them up. I'm not going to read off the whole list because the rest of them I have nothing really to say about. Me and Michelle haven't watched them. But again, I just wanted to briefly mention a little bit about time travel. Again, I'm a big time travel fan. I always have been. Uh, Michelle enjoys time travel. I don't think she's quite the fan that I am. But she she enjoys time travel too. Don't yep. Jen? Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely up there in the list of things I do actually enjoy. Uh, but I guess that's going to do it for this episode, for this segment at least. Um, like I'll post, I'll probably list this entire list that I found on the, the website over at head.headspeaks.com if you want to check them out. I definitely recommend out the ones that we've mentioned that we, that we recommended. Also, I definitely recommend checking out our show, The Star Bright Project, which comes out the first Thursday of the month. And Voyager's Cast, Cast? Voyager's Cast which comes out the second Thursday of the month. 
uh, both great shows, in my opinion. Uh, we have guests on there occasionally, sometimes very special guests, uh, looking at episode three of the Star Bright Project. But I guess that's going to do it. Um, in fact, I think that's all we do for this episode. So we're going to go ahead and end it here. I remember, check out my other shows on the network, on their individual feeds. But that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, when I cover... What am I covering? Oh, yeah, Armageddon Inferno, the first two issues. Plus, whatever else I, I get around and feel like covering, we'll see. Uh, remember, head has spoken. Thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google Plus, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my co- podcasting friends, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are o- owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, are all part of the headcast family. So join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.